Hello and welcome to Insights. This is episode 38. My name is Dane Phillips. Um, today I want to talk about unusual interviews. Uh, we have a few coming up, so I'm recording this for our clients, but also anybody else that's listening, I think. It would be helpful to know how some of these schools differentiate from others and you know, what kind of stuff you're going to want to pay attention to. Uh, apologize in advance for two things. One, the audio quality. I'm just using earbuds, uh, just trying to get this done between meetings. Uh, and the brevity. Uh, obviously, you could talk about this stuff forever, but uh, I just want to get this done. Uh, like I said, just trying to get it out there in a timely fashion because there are a couple of schools that are especially unusual that are coming up, but let's just go through them in order. So HBS is Harvard is done, uh, at least for our clients. So uh, it is unusual because it is non-blind. They've read your application. So you need to do a lot of what we call referential storytelling could do an episode about that, but uh, that's out of the way. So I think we're all good there. Uh, 24-hour essay, of course, is a unique challenge. Uh, that's also done. And then, yeah, so that's HBS. Um, then Stanford. Uh, Stanford's rolling, so you will still have some Stanford's coming up. I think what makes it unusual is that it's the opposite of Harvard in the sense that it's very blind. It used to be completely blind, like not even a resume. Now, they at least get your resume. So that's going to be a launching pad for a lot of the conversation. So yes, you're still going to have some of the big behavioral questions. Uh, tell me about a time, uh, greatest, most, best, et cetera. Um, but you'll also have some technical questions because again, they're kind of following off that resume that you sent in. So, and then it is unusual because while it is technically an alum uh, interview, the alumni in Thailand are, are very good at what they've done or what they do. They've done this a lot. Uh, so, I mean, they may have graduated uh, 10, 15, 25 years ago. So uh, I would treat them, as far as their behavior, definitely their skill set, they are at the top of their game. So treat it more like an ad comm interview uh, in that sense. You know, it's not going to be as, as maybe casual as a, as a Kellogg um, or something like that. Next, we have Wharton, uh, which I do want to talk about. That's a big one. And then MIT also coming up. Uh, I guess that's three, number three, number four for me. I actually prefer MIT, but regardless, I think most people put them in the same tier and, and then it just comes down to preference. But uh, MIT is going to be, it, well, it used to always be Rod Garcia, right? Uh, he, did, he did all the reading for Thailand. He did all the interviews. So if you know somebody that interviewed five years ago, they interviewed with Rod uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, et cetera. So now Donna's the Dean of Admissions. I'm sure you all saw her at the uh, roadshow in October. Um, she's great. Um, I think her style is very similar to Rod's. It's going to be conversational. It's a behavioral interview for sure. Um, differences, application never ask goals, but you should expect goals in the interview. Um, I don't think there's really anything. Uh, historically, Donna would ask a question. like She came to Thailand one round. Uh, this is several years ago when Rod was still uh, the Dean of Admissions. But uh, instead of you asking her questions at the end, she asked you a question, uh, favorite restaurant, or can you recommend a restaurant kind of thing. So a little bit of an unusual conversational moment at the end, just because of the directionality of it. Uh, now there are lots of interviewers. So you can be with any ad com. And it, has an, it doesn't show preference or anything like that. It's really just whoever read your application or whatever time slot you've picked or, or whatever the case may be. So it's not a hierarchy. You don't it because it, you don't necessarily get Donna just because they really want you, um, 
or vice versa, right? So I think you have the same chance regardless of who you interview with and their styles are going to be quite similar. So, um, and then they, of course, will take notes and essentially write you a letter of rec that goes into the computer and then everybody can access that. So, um, you know, Donna can, I've spoken to her while she looked at, uh, you know, notes from uh, other interviewers and stuff like that. So while you're interviewing with one person, this is still, of course, going to go to the committee. So uh, I wouldn't stress out too much about specifically who you got matched with. Just obviously be at your best and expect a behavioral interview. So for Wharton, which uh, is one of the ones I really want to focus on because it's coming up, it is unlike anything else, right? It's still the group interview. Uh, this started maybe 15 years ago or something like that. Um, and it's going to be six people sitting around discussing a topic, right? They'll give you the topic ahead of time, which is nice. Uh, you're supposed to prepare a pitch that's uh, some years it's 60 seconds, some years it's 90, definitely never more than two. But you're, you're going to come in and you're going to say... I think that this year is very similar to past years, which is uh, maybe it's developing a, a class or sometimes it's a trip or whatever it is. Uh, just be mindful that your pitch, while you're going to sit there and stress out about it, focus on it, is not the most important thing, right? It's not that 60 seconds that you do by yourself. It's the subsequent time in which you're interacting with everybody else around the table. So that's really what they're looking for. They're looking how you discuss, how you add value, how you take in other people's ideas? Uh, are you dismissive? Are you uh, appreciative? Do you say yes and and kind of add value? That's a, a really big part of what we teach. Uh, for us, we will usually get uh, current students, uh, past clients, current students to come in. They've already been in the environment. They'll play a role. So they'll be a, one of the participants. Um, we may play one of the participants and be a character. I like to practice with four people. I think that's the perfect number, even though the real thing is going to be six. Four people is really nice because you get more talk time in. Uh, it gets you more comfortable. You get to practice more interaction. And then, of course, when you get to the real thing, you may talk less, but I would say more often than not, you'll actually see a couple of people shrink away during the conversational part anyway. So it'll end up being four people talking a lot. So that's why we choose to do four. We like to have uh, somebody from our team in there. Uh, we'd like to have uh, the clients themselves, of course, and then uh, current students are always happy to help and, and sit in. So that's the dynamic we find most effective. Anybody applying on their own, uh, I would recommend trying to create that same dynamic. So uh, it's not something you've practiced elsewhere. And even if you've done group interviews or, I mean, it, it comes from McKinsey, but you really don't even see that. At McKinsey anymore. So this will probably be an unfamiliar dynamic, but major point is have a great pitch. Yes, but God, you've got to be listening. You got to be listening. You got to be taking notes. You got to pay attention to the people around you and show that you are collaborative. You know, there's really a show don't tell moment, right? Um, you're going to have your little 10 minute one-on-one at the end, but and you can tell them whatever you want. And of course, you want to be fantastic in your storytelling and, and things of that nature in that one-on-one -on -one session. But you will predominantly be judged by that group interaction. So you want to be at your absolute best. You want to show them the kind of person you are by being uh, an active listener. Uh, again, not just don't give in to people entirely, but don't try to dominate the conversation. I would say that a lot of people think, that the alphas are going to win, you know, whoever comes in and talks the most um, is, is going to be the, the victor. It's definitely not the case. You'll see a lot of um, 
betas, if you will, or a lot of support people. Um, but for me, it's really about the consensus builder. Uh, that's what I would uh, always want our clients to be. Uh, yes, they have great ideas, but they also know how to bring multiple ideas together and make something even better. So that's really what it comes down to. Uh, but it's, it, it can be very difficult to practice that on your own or just go over it in your head. So there's nothing like live uh, practice. So get some friends together, get some current MBA students, even if they're not at Wharton. Obviously, Whartons are super helpful. But uh, in general, you just want a collection of smart, capable people that will have really genuine uh, rounds with you so that you can figure out your dynamic and figure out how to respond to different types of personalities. So let someone be a really dominating figure and, and see how you handle that and develop your strategies for de uh, dealing with those people effectively. If somebody is particularly meek and quiet and kind of disappears, you know, how do you bring them back into the conversation? Uh, someone could be overly positive. Someone could be overly negative. You know, there's so many dynamics and you really just have to go through them all and, and try to figure out what role do you want to play and how do you want to be at your best? So that's my, uh, again, we have sessions with our clients more thoroughly one-on-one, -on -one, but that's my general advice to everybody trying to prepare for the Wharton group. Uh, next one, what is it? MIT, it's going to be behavioral. Uh, booth, I think uh, most booths are done. Uh, behavioral slash technical. So uh, everybody's, but again, I think that's out of the way. Uh, but the other one I really want to talk about uh, is LBS because that is also coming up. LBS, I would say, is the best school in Europe. I know NCAD is probably still number one in Financial Times, although it goes back and forth. Uh, LBS is a phenomenal school and a difficult in interview environment for one specific reason. I mean, it is alum, but they're very capable. They're very good at what they do. Uh, so for Kellogg, for example, it's not to say there aren't good Kellogg interviewers. There most certainly are. But since everybody interviews, every interviewer can't be at the same level. Uh, because LBS does not interview everybody, their interviewers uh, are a little more coached, a little more polished, I guess. Uh, so that doesn't mean it's going to be easier or harder necessarily. It just means it's going to be a little bit different uh, in a lot of situations. So just be mindful that an alum interview is, is not always the same. It's going to differ from school to school. And situation to situation against Stanford alum versus Kellogg alum versus LBS alum, all very, very different. But for LBS, I think the part that really challenges people is the case. And again, this has changed a lot over the years. So just be mindful of what it is exactly this year. Don't get locked in on any one question. I'll let you can find those things online and try to see which angle they're taking. So they call it a case question. And traditional dynamic, let's go back to when it was in person, Traditional dynamic, you'd be sitting there, uh, you'd interview for a while, then they'd say, okay, great. Well, we're going to have a case. Uh, so let me read it to you. You can ask me any questions that you have. Uh, then I'm literally going to get up and walk away for a couple of minutes. You come back and you're going to present and you're going to present your response to the, to the case or to the question. That question has varied a lot over the years and you do need to be able to handle whatever it may be because it's not necessarily, in fact, very rarely is it a case like you would have done in a case competition or something. Um, it's obviously needs to be done quickly. So it's going to be relatively streamlined, but also it's not necessarily pure business because not everybody interviewing for the MBA has a business background. They want to be able to appeal to, to anybody. One of my favorite uh, case questions, for example, comes from 
uh, data science interview, and it's if you were to invent an ATM for children, how would you do that? Literally anybody can answer that question. We've used it. We do the K-Bank interviews for scholars and stuff. So when we do recruiting, uh, I I find that question to be great because everybody can participate. Some people are going to focus on the business side. Some people are going to focus on the technology. It could be UI. It could be UX. It could be uh, about the parents that are going to be funding it. It could be about literally the kids' interaction with it. You can talk about how tall the ATM is, right? Like you could be anywhere. Everybody's going to answer that question a little bit differently. So I like to use that as practice just because despite the fact that that doesn't actually come from LBS, it really does hone your skills on your ability to answer cases from all these different perspectives and really focus on your area of expertise, right? Uh, So for LBS, I remember one year it was, so uh, this this would be an ethical case. uh, And they're really difficult because ethics uh, differs among cultures, right? So it's a, it's a tough question. And this may have been the second or third year, but I do like to warn people about it because it can happen, which is they said, how do you feel about designer babies? That was the exact question. And designer babies isn't even a phrase that'll, that everybody knows, but in the UK, it's a hot topic, right? It's a thing that people discuss, which is if you can genetically modify uh, you know, a baby before it's born, would you do that? So for some people, that's making sure that they don't have uh uh, allergies, for example, and that's a pretty easy thing to get behind. Another one would be, uh, let's try to prevent, you know, really serious diseases and illnesses. Obviously, there are ethical implications, but pretty uh, openly positive. But then you start running into difficulties, like what if you want to choose gender? Uh, there's plenty of people who would think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do and be like, oh, I want a boy, so I'm going to have a boy. I want a girl, so I'm going to have a girl. But your interviewer may definitely not feel that way. And definitely the culture that you're talking to may not feel that way. So that's when things start to get difficult uh, in those ethical ones. And, uh, you know, blue eyes, for example, that sounds like a pretty simple thing. Like, oh, I want my kids to have uh, colored eyes, but your interviewer can and will push back. And, and the what abouts in those ethical cases, because that's the hard part, right? It's not necessarily your initial presentation or pitch. It's those probing questions that you're going to get. So just be mindful of, of ethical cases. They aren't uh, they haven't been used the last couple of years, but they can still pop up. So just be re- mindful that this is not a purely business issue. You do need to think about social and ethical issues. Um, ESG issues, for example, environment, sustainability, or uh, society, governance, uh, sustainable energy, these kinds of things can pop up in the midst of a business kind of case question. Uh, and they can push back on anything they want. So they're told... They're usually given three cases and the interviewer gets to choose and they're going to choose the one they like the best or the most comfortable with. Uh, so if you're interviewing with a Thai person, you can you know, hope to get something that you have some familiarity with and, and there's kind of some shared culture around that particular question. Uh, but of course, this again, this is not guaranteed. Uh, and then that pushback, those probing questions can come from any direction. They could be practical issues. They could be financial issues. They could be uh, logistics. They could be ethics, as I mentioned. So, and be prepared for people to play devil's advocate, right? It, just because they're argue with me, arguing with you does not mean they disagree with you. So if somebody's mock, uh, mocking with us, uh, we will push back on on any on different things at different times it's not an indicator of how your interviewer necessarily feels they just want to see how you'll respond to those particular questions and and make sure that you're thoughtful in your response that you've considered things you know beyond just your pitch and and things like that so 
uh, I guess this does align a little bit with Wharton in that you're going to focus really hard on your response, but it's the the subsequent moments that are significantly more important. The what about, have you considered, what would you do if, these kinds of things. So just practice case after case after case, look up past LBS case questions, and go through those as much as you can, and make sure that you're comfortable with all these different types. And again, these are not MBB type of cases. These are not the things you would see in a case competition. Uh, so I would try to find the LBS ones specifically. We keep a, a a database of all the questions that have been asked so we can practice really specific stuff from, from different years. Uh, I would be mindful of what's being asked at any given time. Round two can look back and see what was done at round one, or some people will have already posted their questions from round one, but don't get locked in. So just because you see certain questions, don't limit yourself to that and think, okay, I I have the inside scoop. I know exactly what's going to happen because it's it's much better to be prepared for anything and be able to respond effectively than it is to think I have this uh, you know totally figured out and planned out ahead of time. Because getting thrown uh, during an interview is is much more dangerous than uh, just being kind of prepared for multiple scenarios and, and again being dynamic. Uh, they want to see and feel like you're you're thinking on your feet. So that's going to be really important. Uh, I think eye contact is really important. I, again, let's go both LBS and Wharton. It's not just the listening. You got to be mindful of your facial expressions. Be mindful of what signals you're sending when you're listening, when you're talking. Be an act. When I say active listener, I don't just mean taking notes or uh, you know mentally cataloging what they're saying. But your eyebrows uh, tell them a lot about what kind of a person you are and your thinking. Think about micro expressions. Um, that that's what those are the kind of instantaneous things, right? So the are, are you getting kind of a confused look on your face? They're going to notice that even if it only lasts half a second. Are you dismissive? Are you uh, shocked? Are you whatever? So for example, if somebody's probing in an LBS interview, the surprise look is pretty dangerous because it says, I have not considered the thing that you're saying. And while that's not necessarily always a bad thing, because the ability to take in new information, process it instantly and then respond effectively is great but it does it is a clear indicator that you didn't kind of maybe consider the that aspect prior to being asked the question so for example if they push back on ethical issues or environmental issues or financial issues if you look surprised that means that you weren't uh, considering it before your pitch and and that just can be telling these aren't hard and fast rules of absolutely you can't be surprised at an interview it it just means you've got to consider a lot more than just the words coming out of your mouth. Uh, so body language, uh, facial expressions, tone, all of these things are going to be really important. Uh, some of it they're processing consciously. So for example, they can notice if you're leaning back in your chair, leaning forward, they can notice if you're fidgeting with your hands, those things they're conscious of, the micro expressions, the, the, the little things, they may not recognize that they see it, but they're feeling it, they're noticing it, they're uh, picking up on it, and it can in, impact the way they feel about you and, and, and what they think of you. Uh, and that will subconsciously manifest in the letter of support that they write you. The evaluation, I think, is how most people think of it. But yes, it's an evaluation of the interview, but they're also going to take a side. They're going to say, yes, I think this person's a great fit, or no, I don't think they're a great fit. So kind of think of it as an extra letter of rec. Uh, 
So you're trying to build rapport, you're trying to impress these people, you're trying to show all these different aspects of yourself simultaneously. So again, what we just really, really impress upon our clients and and what I hope listeners are picking up on is just how dynamic this environment is. It is designed to make sure you can't be fully prepared. So you do want to be as prepared as possible. Just be, be mindful of the other elements uh, that maybe you can't completely rehearse. And again, this would be things like facial expressions and body language, uh, at least in part. So, so that's the LBS case. That's what I was one thing we have coming up that I wanted to focus on. Of course, we have Wharton coming up, always a challenge. Obviously, we'll have everybody, uh, all of our clients completely ready for that. But I do want to mention that for everybody out there. Uh, oh, NYU, uh, quickly, uh, just, I mean, it's still top 10 school, right? So Columbia J-Term, all those results are, well, not completely out. I guess you still have some rolling stuff coming in. But I would say, I, I think we're in the double digits for uh, Columbia's, and a lot of those uh, are already out. Uh, so NYU would be the next New York school that people are focused on. It is a non-blind uh, interview, so they will have read your application. I wouldn't say that's exactly like, HBS necessarily, but similar uh, in that they are familiar with your uh, profile and your essays. So you do need to do referential storytelling. You do need some B stories. Uh, you need to be uh, be prepared uh, to quote unquote go off script. Um, but I'm not a fan of scripts in general, but uh, it can be especially problematic if somebody's read your application. But the unique thing about NYU that I think can be challenging for people, oh, MIT, sorry, let's go back. Uh, you also have the, uh, the data visualization. So you will have to explain the data visualization. Uh, you're, of course, going to want to spend a lot of time on creating a, a great uh, piece of work, a great uh, image, right? It's the graphs and, and, and things like that. But your ability to explain that effectively, why you chose it, what it means, uh, and don't just read it to them and don't just tell your story if it, as if it doesn't exist. It, it, it's the importantly balanced. So data visualiza- visualization is an unusual uh, part of the MIT interview. Uh, for NYU, it's the, uh, oh, Yale too. They ask you to pick a quote ahead of time. Uh, then you're going to have to, they'll ask you why you chose that quote. You need to get an answer to that. Uh, NYU, uh, I think, will ask you about one of the pick sixes. So the uh, uh, Carl and Fernando uh, keep track of this stuff better because they execute the actual schools. So I'm speaking, I'm, I'm pretty sure they still ask pick six, but uh, I'm speaking from 17 years of uh, experience with this. Uh, and these things can change. So highly recommend being up to date, uh, our partners and, and everybody else. It does that uh, very actively. So I recommend you all do that on your own as well. But if you do have to explain why you chose a certain pick six, or maybe they can pick any image they want and ask you about it, just be prepared to talk about it effectively, somewhat briefly. And uh, we tend to still do conflict-driven storytelling and, and try to be use an engaging narrative and, and not just describe a picture, of course, just like you wouldn't describe the data visualization, that's like when that's like if somebody asked you to walk them uh, walk through your resume and you just read it to them, right? So it needs to be more rich than that. So 
So those are the first ones that pop up to my, uh, pop into mind. Uh, as I said, my big focus coming in was the Wharton, the LBS, because those little moments can kind of undo a year's worth of work. So please be careful about those things. Uh, now that I think about it, data visualization for MIT, really important. Um, NYU, the quote for Yale, and yes, all of those things. Cambridge does professor interviews, which is going to be different from Oxford, which uh, is often an adcom. So, uh, but all UK schools can do professor interviews. Just be mindful that those are going to be more technical than behavioral. Uh, their styles are going to be a little bit different. So, just try to talk to people that have been through this. Uh, for us, that's that's us, and of course, past clients, and and everybody's always willing to help out the next generation of of clients. So, really appreciate uh, everybody that's worked with us over the years because you know they're they're paying it uh, forward or, or backward, whatever it may be, um, to these uh, aspiring candidates, and and we find that really helpful. So, if you are doing this on your own, um, and that includes if you. If, if you used a consultancy to apply, you probably are still trying to prepare for the interview on your own. It's, it's not a big part of what people do, but it is extraordinarily important. Interview is more important than application, for sure. Um, that has changed over the years, but applications get you interviews. Interviews get you into school. So this is where they're really deciding. I mean, this is the real moment of truth. So I cannot uh, overstate the importance of this moment. And I just want to make sure that everybody takes advantage of it. Um, you can't let 30 seconds of poor performance undo all your hard work on the GMAT, your great career, uh, your applications, things like that. So really just want to make sure every moment, there is no such thing as a perfect interview. You're not going to have that, but you do want to minimize those mistakes, of course, uh, both in frequency and in, uh, uh, you know, how maybe problematic they are, how open they are. So just do your best to uh, keep those things under control, just to be prepared for whatever may come your way. Uh, read the blogs, be paying attention at all times to uh, what is happening to the people interviewing in front of you, what happened last round, last year, uh, things of that nature, and uh, just be fully prepared. And, and there, is no prep, there is no replacement for that preparation and that experience of, of really just going through the motions. You know, we do 30 hours of group interview, and yet we still do another six hours of mock. We're going to do extra sessions for LBS case because it's a totally different thing. We're going to do extra sessions for Wharton because it's a totally different thing. So, I mean, we do 50, 60 hours of verbal preparation way beyond the essays, and, and yet you still have to put in some extra times for these unusual interviews. So, uh, Everybody out there should be doing that. Uh, for our clients, I know everything's going to be okay. For everybody else out there, I, I wish you the best of luck in this process. I know how important it is. You are almost there. Uh, so, uh, you know, good luck. Hang in there. Uh, be ready uh, for whatever may be coming your way. And as always, we wish everybody, uh, you know, success in this process. It's, it's extremely important. We know our clients are going to succeed. We have 100% success rate. So we've, we know they're going to be okay. Uh, but at the same time, we want to make sure that other people out there are succeeding as well. We, uh, you know, there's room for for lots of candidates to succeed. So we we want to see you doing well, and we wish everybody the best. Okay, all right. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us, and best of luck.